Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Businesses are increasingly recognizing analytics value in decision-making across various domains. One significant area experiencing a data revolution is human resources, now increasingly called people operations or people analytics. As of this year, 30% of new hires leave within 90 days. The reasons aren't shocking. 43% say the role didn't meet their expectations, 34% left because of a specific incident, and 32% didn't think the company culture was a good fit. In this episode, Nihan Naik, CEO and founder of RecruitGuyan, joins us to discuss how People Analytics offers insights for understanding the employee lifecycle, from hiring with the right expectations to ensuring a cultural fit. Grab a copy of my new book, Customer Transformation, a seven-stage strategy for customer alignment and business value. This is your essential guide for customer success in the digital age. Learn from industry giants, adapt to your customers' ever-evolving needs, and revolutionize your business strategy to achieve sustainable growth. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or my website. And to support the show, visit chrishood.com slash show, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, follow us on social media, or you can email me directly, show at chrishood.com. I'm Chris Hood, and let's get connected. Connecting. Access granted. It's the Chris Hood Digital Show. Where global business and technology leaders meet to discuss strategy, innovation, and digital acceleration. Five, four, three, two, one. Your digital evolution starts now. Here's your host, Chris Hood. Welcome to the show. Niha, would you mind introducing yourself? Hey, everybody. Thank you for having me here. And I'm so excited to be here. So my name is Neha Naik. I live in Houston, Texas with my husband and two young kids. And um, I have a recruiting agency that I've owned for about eight years. And I'm really excited to be here and share insight. Let's dive a little bit more into your background. It's very interesting. And I think it's going to make for a great conversation. You have a recruiting agency, but you also have a background in data. How has those all come together? Yes. So actually, my very first business venture was a recruiting agency. That's what I started my entrepreneurial journey on, so to speak. But then I decided to, you know, do what a lot of visionaries do and we can't sit still. So um, I decided to then embark on my data analytics business, which is essentially all about, you know, all things data. Right. So what we do is we look at data that companies provide us. Um, Typically, it's in like shambles, it's in rough draft, and we take that and optimize it and then create Power BI dashboards or, you know, any type of dashboards really to look at kind of their bottom line, whether it's in operations, human resources, sales, efficiency, whatever it is that they want to improve. We take the data that they don't know what to do with, and then we build an infrastructure foundation for them so that they can really act on that data. And then we also do predictive analytics on that data as well, because it's important to, you know, a lot of companies talk about having data, but like you can't, if you can't do anything with that data, there's no point having it, right? So we really um, empower companies to use data for their benefit. So then specifically, how much of that practice from a data perspective do you see also happening inside of recruiting and hiring practices? 
I, in my recruiting agency, we are data first. Um, we use a couple of different dashboards. We look at revenue, we look at profit, we look at operations, we look at client-based efficiencies. So we know, you know, based on data dashboards, if, you know, people like Clockify tells you, for example, what capacity people are working, right? And so as a team of over 40 people, I can look at my Clockify dashboard and say, okay, this team is like hitting 90 to 100% of their hours and they're starting to, I can tell that they're burning out let's go ahead and add one more person. So we use data to make those strategic decisions about hiring people, pausing people for their contract if there's not enough work. But then we can also tell our clients the story of like, hey, when you pay us, um, <clears throat> it's not going down the drain. It's not what I'm using to buy myself a yacht. Like this is where your money's going and this is the profit. And so we can actually have a very reasonable, direct and transparent conversation with them about our pricing and what, that, what the value of that is to our clients. When I was at Google, we had an organization called People Analytics, which is basically what you're defining. It looks at all of the data. They analyze how employees are doing, satisfaction of the employees, workload. It's very critical, yet we know that there's a lot of organizations out there that simply aren't looking at the data. They may have the data, or in some cases, even worse, they're not even asking their employees how they're doing. But that's all part of this process, right? Exactly. And that's important, right? Because a lot of times, you know, no matter how big you are as a company or how small you are, if you are have struggling constant turnover in a department or a business unit, that it should be an automatic red flag that you need to look at, right? And so what is happening specifically within that business unit? And when I work with, you know, clients on strategy sessions, I talk about that. I, I tell them, look at what's not working, and then we're going to work on fixing it by using data that you've already collected, right? And I think that's really how you bridge the gap between where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow as it relates to retention and turnover and just employee engagement within your organization. Now, I love that you said that you're a data-first company. I, I think that's fabulous. I'm sure the data has shown you some valuable insights in terms of things like what is the most common reason for turnover? Do you have any insights on that? Yes, um, there's multiple. I would say one of the ones that I've come across multiple times is a cultural mismatch or it is the uh, expectation mismatch of what they were told they were going to do before they got hired versus what they were actually doing after they got hired. So anytime you have a cultural mis mismatch or a job description mismatch, um, <clears throat> and I see this mostly in small to mid-sized businesses, right? Especially with the job description mismatch, because my experience has been working with startups primarily, pre-seed to series E. And I see that at a startup, there's so many things going on at the same time. Everybody has to take on ownership. And so if you come from a bigger company to a smaller company, that might be like a harder thing for you to get used to, right? Now for bigger companies, I see like a cultural mismatch specifically. So, you know, they get in and they're really excited and then there's a bunch of red tape or they don't know who to talk to. They feel kind of, you know, um, secluded. Um, there's not a lot of attempts made internally to kind of introduce them to different people, whether it's in their business unit, outside their business unit. And so really, I think when people don't feel safe and they don't feel like they fit, right? And when I mean safe, I'm not saying like physical safety, but just like this emotional safety. We all crave that as humans. And so when we don't feel that way, we don't feel like we're included, we're part of something bigger, then the tendency is to then say, okay, I'm not happy here. Like, I don't want to spend 40 hours of my week here. Like, I'm done. Right. And that's when you start seeing people then either like go look for other jobs and then they take on extra contracting jobs to kind of add on to their income. So once they, you know, decide to leave, they can leave and still have some like finances um, to kind of help them as a backup. So I think that's the biggest thing is you want to look at your culture. You want to look at your interview process and what the expectation that it, that you are setting 
for employees coming in and how that onboarding process looks and if you're aligned. And if you are seeing a lot of turnover, specifically in a business unit, you also want to look at are the managers communicating? Are there you know, weekly meetings happening? Is there collaboration happening? So really dissecting those types of issues will give you a really good um, depth of insight into why people are leaving your company. When we get into this company and we begin to build those cultures that people want to gravitate towards, that data should be showing us what's working and what's not working. You, you said alignment. I think it's a good word. But you know, that doesn't mean that just because somebody comes in and they're not aligned with the organization's values in that moment, that they can't become aligned if you understand and you're asking the right questions and you're making and adjusting the right elements within the culture to ensure that people feel welcomed and those values are aligned. Yes. And this is exactly why anonymous surveys, having um, touch bases with, you know, your team members, your peers, your colleagues, your direct managers, um, even people like skipping that, you know, direct manager step and going above just as a communication. I think it's really important for companies to not just um, make that a priority, but empower individuals to take up on those options, right? Like doing offsites and doing uh, quarterly business reviews and stuff where people can come on and express themselves um, is the key. Because unless you give people the opportunity to speak up, right? And especially if someone's new, they're not going to want to say, okay, I don't feel good. Like they don't want to be, nobody wants to be a tattletale, right? And so, but if you offer multiple opportunities and empower employees and say something like, you know, without you guys, we are nothing. We may have the best product, the service, but without our employees, um, we're nothing, right? So no matter how big of a company you are, if you make that proactive step to engage with your employees, they're going to fit in because they're, or they're going to add, I don't want to say fit in, but they will add to your culture because now they feel like they're part of something bigger. They really trust your vision, your mission, your values, and the story that you have. And so they feel like now, oh my gosh, like I love where I am because these people actually care. They check in on me when I raise my hand and express any concerns. I'm, you know, it's not just like something goes into an inbox and then it's gone down this like vortex where no one ever responds. It's being addressed in a timely manner. So really empowering your employees to speak up and the way you do that, especially as leaders is, is, you know, talk about that, right? Write that in emails send weekly, bi-weekly emails, newsletters about how it's important. Have links for anonymous surveys. Look at those surveys and actually do something about them. Don't just send surveys for fun, right? But once you get the results, act on them. And that's a big part of who you are, you know, as you grow as a business. Yeah, it's amazing how many companies just check off the box. Well, we sent out a survey, but employees know, employees know that when they share their feedback and nothing happens, they're not being listened to. And then that just builds upon that frustration. If I go back to Google, we had an annual survey, we had quarterly surveys, and then we had private individual surveys. Occasionally, HR would reach out to us and say, you've been selected randomly to participate. I think I heard a few times it's just too much from the employee perspective. We're being asked too much about our opinions. Is there a balance? How much should they be asking? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the the answer, you know, to answer your question, um, you know, to me, I feel like every once a quarter is is good enough, but it's not like it shouldn't feel bothersome. But essentially, it depends on what the value is that you talk about with your employees. So it, it's 
how you sell the survey and the reasoning behind it, right? And so it's almost like it's a health check of the business. It's a health check of a business unit. It's a health check of the employee's mental health, their burnout rate, whatever it is that you're measuring. And so if you tell the employees, like, we're sending these to you because we really care about your transformation as an employee, but also your transformation as a human being, right? Like, how do you feel when you work here? Because I always say that work culture, it's when you shut off your computer and when you go home and the way you act, that defines your work culture. If you had a horrible day, you hate your manager, you hate everything, you're not going to be a happy person when you go home. You're going to be cranky. You're going to be yelling at your kids. You're going to be fighting with your wife. You're not going to be like, you're just going to be like not a happy person. So it's really important that when you talk to your employees about doing these surveys, it's also the art of, okay, we want you to do these because we care about your mental health. We care about your physical health. We care about you as a human and an employee. And we want to make sure that we're continuing to build this team that's going to eventually lead us all to success. It's a collective effort, right? And so once you talk about it that way, um, then I feel like you motivate people. But if you just say, okay, here's another survey, answer it, send it, like, you know, there's a huge different tonality. And I think people respond better when you tell them the why and you talk about the transformation. So like using these surveys, we want to transform our company to this, you know, we are here today. We want to be here tomorrow. How do we get there? So answering these surveys, this is going to be kind of that bridge that gets us to that next level. We talk about success, not from a just solely employee perspective, but we also want to understand how that directly relates to our customer success. And I feel as if there's a direct correlation, as you just outlined, if the employees are happy, they're going to be more productive. And then that translates into success for your sales, your profits, your business value. Customers are going to be more successful. How do you look at that when you're comparing internal and cultural employee success directly with customer success? Yes, there is. I mean, there's been so many studies done, but there is a very direct correlation in terms of how happy and healthy your employees are with how happy and healthy your pipeline is of new clients, right? Because of course, as somebody who's happy working at a company, you're going to have your best before. forward. Um, a lot of us have probably worked at, you know, work cultures that were toxic, that like didn't really care about our well-being in any capacity, shape or form. And if you, you know, I just remember like thinking, oh, my gosh, I hate Mondays. You know, how many of us go into work thinking, oh, I hate Mondays. If you're the type of person who's doing that, you're probably not in the right place right? You should not hate Mondays. You should be very excited. Like it's one thing when you're like, you've partied too hard on Sunday and you're like, oh, tomorrow's Monday. But it's one thing where you're like every Sunday night, it's like, it's Monday, right? And it just tells you that there's something not aligned here, right? And so when you show up with that attitude on Monday, and when you're, you know, talking to clients of that company, of your company, um, you're not going to be yourself. You're not going to, I feel like you're just going to be stuck in this box of I'm here just to do what I'm told. And then once it's 4.59 p.m., I'm going to start turning off my computers. I'm going to start saying my goodbyes and I'm going to head out, right? Or I'm going to shut my Zoom off and I'm done for the day. As opposed to someone who's really engaged and really cares. And they're going to be there till 6, 7, 8 p.m. Because to them, they're building their legacy here at the company, right? And that's the shift we want to make when we approach employees and we think about culture, we think about like DEI initiatives and we think about just, you know, prospering. It's a collective, you know, effort. It's not just because a CEO says so. That's great. You can love the CEO, you can be loyal, but if you hate your job, you're only going to be like 20% at it, right? And you, we've all been there. Like we've all worked at jobs where like we hated the job and we showed up just to get the paycheck, right? Um, 
it just goes to show that either you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing or you're at the wrong company. And so it's the onus then falls on us to figure that out because you don't want to live most of your life miserable because you hated your job, right? And so again, finding the, the workplace that fits for you is going to be really critical. I'm thinking back to one of my first jobs. I think most of my listeners know that I worked at a movie theater as my first job, but I also did a lot of work in retail. Look, I think we've all experienced this as well. Anytime you've walked into a store and either you get a sales associate that is very happy that you're there, like, hey, how can I help you today? Or you get somebody who's like, I don't want to talk to anybody today. And they're sitting in the corner and they're avoiding the customers walking in. Well, that's a prime example of how you're going to be able to drive sales. And yet we know, because you just touched on it, we see a lot of people who go to jobs just for the paycheck. And this is on both sides, not just us wanting the job, but we see a lot of companies who lose an employee due to turnover and then they're desperate. We need somebody to fill this spot. We're just going to go hire somebody. Well, in both processes, you, whether you just go and hire a random person, you run the risk of not being aligned with the role, the job, the company, the culture. So I firmly believe that the process of building the right culture and making sure that people are happy and aligned starts at the hiring practice. Right from the beginning, you should be looking at this. And I don't know if data necessarily helps us identify that more than, say, a process of just saying, look, we got to slow down. We're not desperate. We don't hire the first person that comes to us. Or same thing with us. I can't just take any job. I got to find a job that meets my needs and expectations as well as being happy in it. And again, I, I don't know if there's a data point there, but there's definitely a process that I think a lot of us don't really consider. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, as it relates to the data point, what we want to look at is how in alignment is your process compared to the job, right? So there's like a lot of people, like you said, a lot of companies, when somebody leaves, they go into triage mode. And I see this all the time. It's like, we got a two week notice, higher, higher, higher. Um, and then I'm like, okay, what should the interview process look like? I don't know. Like, I'll talk to them one more person, and then we're going to hire them. And I'm like, please, no, no, no. Like, literally, I'm just like, no, let's build up. I get it. I get it that you're stressed. I get that you losing this critical person in your business unit is going to have some type of a short-term repercussion on your business. However, don't lose out on the opportunity to properly interview somebody because you're going to have a lot more long-term damage if you find the wrong person or you get stuck on this hamster wheel of hiring, they quit or we have to let them go. Oh, we have to hire. Oh, they quit. We have to let them go because you're not doing your due diligence, right? And so now instead of spending your time on business objectives and KPIs and initiatives that are going to make you revenue, you are now forced to change your time into hiring. And then when you go into triage mode, you stress out and then you, you know, hire the wrong person and you're like, yes, I've spent two weeks onboarding them. Now they should be good to go. And then third week, the person's like, I quit. This is not the right role for me. And you would have found this out a month ago if you'd have just structured the job description correctly, structured the interview process, the interview questions, the panel, and done some type of a assessment to understand this person would be the right fit. So I always say, I get it. I, as a business owner, I understand However, it's really important to take a step back, take a 20,000 foot view of what you're looking for, who you're looking for, and go into it very much informed as opposed to like a haphazard, 
let's just find someone, right? Like we, you can't do that anymore, especially with everything the way it is and how quickly the job market is changing from an employer standpoint and an employee standpoint. And so it's really critical to make hiring a pre-thought and not an afterthought or like a triage mode situation. Startup companies probably don't struggle with that as much as larger companies. But I think when we get into a medium-sized, larger company, there's probably opportunity. And again, maybe this is where data can reveal that there are individuals internally that can handle more and could fill in temporarily during that hiring process. There's some internal process there that I think data can help organizations alleviate some of that stress. Yes, I completely agree. And I think that's another reason why I'm a big proponent of upskilling and upleveling even your talent, right? Because you never know, there might have to be some type of a cross-functionality within employees where if someone leaves. Now, I will say that that's great, but with the caveat of if you're going to expect one person to do the job of a one and a half person, then you have to increase their comp or you have to give them some type of a bonus or something, right? Because otherwise... If Joe is doing the job of two people and he's not getting compensated, now he's going to be the one to leave next. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want to lose more people because we didn't make the right judgment call, right? So offering them like some type of a bonus, like, hey, if you help me for six weeks until I find this next person, I am going to give you a $5,000 whatever so that you are, you know, still respecting their time. You're respecting the fact that they're stepping out of their kind of responsibilities and helping you with yours. And the other thing you can do is also get like contractor freelance workers who can plug in really quickly, you know, help you with anything that's super critical and buy you a little bit of time while you interview. And then once you get someone in that full-time role, then you can, you know, end the contract. And so it's fine because contractors typically know it is a short-term role, right? So it's not going to be like a huge deal, Um, but you never know. I've had a lot of people hire contractors and then they turn into full-time employees because they fit into the team really well. And they understood what the kind of the objectives were and what the deadlines were. And then they turned out to be really good key players, but that's another option. But yes, if you are going to have somebody else within your team help out, you want to make sure that you are keeping a check on them in terms of their burnout meter, but you're also, you know, giving them some type of a monetary compensation for their time and effort. Let's go to the opposite side. We talk about hiring, but let's talk about somebody who is leaving an organization. How critical, I know what your answer is going to be, but I want to hear how critical is it to do a survey and conduct an exit interview to understand why they are leaving? Very, very critical. Um, When you do an exit survey with somebody, it tells you not just their motivation for why they're leaving you. It also tells you how they felt when they were working for your company. And finally, it tells you where they're going. And I think those three things can really tell you a lot about your business. So if you find out their motivation for leaving, you know whether it's compensation, if it's the benefits, if it's the location, if it's the hybrid versus remote or in person, you know, if it's a culture, they didn't like their manager or whatever the situation is. Um, if you know, you know, what worked well for them and what didn't work for that well for them, you can take that feedback and make sure you insert the learnings from that so that you are helping other individuals that join your company. And then finally, if you know where they're going, you can say like, okay, they, they left us for this company. Let me look at their benefits. Let me look at their comp. You know, it gives you a really good understanding of where people are going. And I always like to think, you know, take these as learnings, right? Don't see where they're going and then, oh, like, 
why are they going to this company? We're so much better. No, there's got to be something about that business, whether they're more innovative, whether it's a culture, it's got to be something. And so learning from that, I think you can then better your company. So I always say you're going to have turnover because as a business owner, that's normal, right? As long as it's not constant, like you're not losing people every week or every month. Um, and you're not have a, you don't have a control on it. That's an issue. But if you have turnover once in a while, just study why it's happening and then take the learnings from that specific instance and then come back and, you know, kind of edit your current policies or infrastructure so that the next person that joins you um, is not going to leave for those same reasons. Right. So, again, take those as kind of learnings. I'm also going to assume that individuals who are responding to an exit survey are more likely to be honest and maybe brutally honest than when they were working and filling out quarterly surveys. Yes, that is true. Exit surveys tell you a lot more about your employees stay at your company than a quarter. I mean, yes, the quarterly surveys will give you like 70 to 80 percent of the truth, which is still not bad. But an exit survey always gives you 90 percent plus because now they don't really have a motivation to lie or sugarcoat things. Right. They're already leaving. Like, what's the worst you can do? Um, so I think that's the biggest, um, biggest difference for sure. And I think there's a natural correlation then if I get an exit survey response and it says, I left because we'll say culture or salary. In theory, that organization should be taking that information and applying its findings back to the quarterly internal surveys so that you can adjust and make sure that you're constantly understanding what's happening. Otherwise, if you're using the same questions every quarter, you're not really getting much out of it, right? Yes. And you should be changing questions every quarter based on your answers from the previous quarter, right? I mean, there can be some that are similar, of course, the the, the usual normal ones, but again, change some of them up, right? Uh, but yes, I, I completely agree. I think if the issue is salary or benefits, you need to do a market analysis, market research of what the new salary rates are for that position at that level. And then make sure you, you know, look at team parity and make sure the people that are currently there are also getting that raise, right? Because you can't just bring someone new in and then someone's been working for you for five years and they're making less than the newcomer because of your new survey. So first look at team parity and increase the compensation internally. And then when you bring someone new, just say, this is the market research. This is what it's told us. We've had, you know, people give us this feedback. And so now it, this, the, the salary used to be 150,000. Now it's 170,000 based on our most recent research. Right. And so again, it goes back to that because if you're losing people to compensation or benefits, um, I would say that is not a good enough reason um, to lose people over with. Right. Especially with all these modalities of research and market research that we have at our disposal. So it's one thing to say, we have the data and we're not going to do anything with it. It's another thing to say, we have the data, but leadership doesn't care about it. Because I'm sure there's a lot of situations where the market research says we should be increasing our salaries. And yet a CEO sits there and says, no. You see, that's the part where I'm like, then you need to really think about your why as a business owner and why you got in there. You know, there's um, an amazing book that my husband introduced me to. It's called... Um, uh, the infinite game. I was like, what's the name of it? And he talks about the type of leader you should be. So of course, like if you're a, you know, C-level executive or decision maker at your business, I highly recommend that you read this book. It's amazing. And he talks about how to take care of your employees, even when the times are bad, right? Because what happens and how you treat them when times are not good is a type of reciprocation that you get, right? And so of course, if you are looking at the survey results and you're saying per market research, there's a huge mismatch, right? Those are the conversations that you need to have. Maybe you need to look at taking your budget instead of starting this new initiative, then shift it towards increasing your employees' salaries. Because without without people 
you're going to amount to nothing more or less, right? You could have all the ideas, but if you're constantly having turnover, um, you're just going to continue on that you know, hamster wheel, so to speak. So it's really important that you act on those surveys. And even if it's something like, hey, we know that there's a discrepancy and it's Q3 right now, but by Q1 of next year, we will have the funds to give you the salary that you require or that you need per these standards. Just having that communication and sticking to it, I think matters, right? Instead of not doing anything. So I don't even think people expect like things to happen overnight, but they expect like, okay, is it going in that direction? And I think a lot of times when people know, okay, it's gonna happen in a few months, then people are more likely to stay with you because they know you're actually making those strides, right? And you get six months to kind of readjust your books so that you can now pay your employees more as opposed to rolling out this whole new initiative or buying this machine that you don't really need right now. I want to wrap up with KPIs, but I want to break it down into two basic concepts here, basic KPIs and advanced KPIs. Yes. So I would say definitely some of the basic KPIs is um, turnover, retention, their DE&I, so diversity, equity, and inclusion metrics, the culture of the company. And yes, there is a way to measure culture. I've had people tell me that's such a subjective word, but there is a way to measure it if you really wanted to measure it, right? Um, so I think culture is definitely a huge one. Um, the other thing you definitely want to measure is how um, satisfied people are when they work for you and, and not just at the company, but in their jobs. I would say those are kind of the basic KPIs. And then the advanced KPIs would look at when people leave your business, where do they go? Which we've talked about, right? Because it tells you where people are going to and why they're migrating to these other businesses. The second one would be hiring manager relationships or manager relationships with their employees. So you want to get an understanding of Okay, are people working under this manager? Are they happy with what they're doing? Right? Are you know? Are is there the communication channel open, etc.? Um, the third thing you want to look at, you know, in terms of KPI is how above and beyond are people going in a specific business unit? So if you know that this business unit is the first one in, the last one out, has killed every single metric you've given them, they're performing a thousand percent more. Okay, what is working well within that? What is happening? Is there more rewards happening? Is there more collaboration? Is there more, are the teams more diverse? Like what is happening? And then take that and replicate it, right? On the contrary, you want to work at business units that aren't performing well. Like what's not working here, right? How do we how do we shift that? And it's not to me about letting people go or firing people. It's about, okay, this is not working. How do we make it work? You know, where are we today? Where do we want to be tomorrow? And what's that bridge? And once you define that and reshuffle things, I don't see why things can't start working again. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of perspective to adjust things. I really like the concept of a performance matrix across different teams to figure out which ones are overly performing, which ones are underperforming, and trying to find ways of mirroring those across the entire organization. I think that's fabulous. Now, when I'm also thinking about advanced KPIs. I'm thinking about correlations between hiring and other areas of the business. So we talked about it, you know, earlier. Can you also track the correlation between customer satisfaction and employee satisfaction or sales and culture? Yeah, I agree. I think culture is something you definitely have to track and it's not impossible, but there's other elements in there that you should be tracking that, again, I think there's a lot of companies that think, well, I've got my people analytics, I've got my sales analytics, I've got my marketing analytics, and they don't look at those holistically to say, well, 
Is there a correlation between how we're marketing and our public perception in the world versus how our employees feel? Because I think there is a correlation. If you're proud of your company, you become an ambassador for that company. If you are kind of embarrassed that you work at a company, you're not really going out and telling anybody that you work there. Those types of advanced ways of looking at your culture, I think, are just as critical. I agree. And I love the one you said about the client success and the employee success. I think that's such a critical one um, because it really just paints a whole new picture. It's like it adds a whole new dimension, you know, to your business metrics. And I think that's so huge because that's something that the leadership can proactively work on improving. Right. Um, And so I think that's a really good call out. And then as it relates to sales, I just, you know, most recently signed up with a vendor and we had this issue where they promised us all these things and then lacked in fulfillment. So like, are, is your sales team great at promising, but are your operations backing up that sales process? Right. Because a lot of times that happens, like you sell, 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 sell. And then on the back end, it's crickets. So it's like, is there a correlation there and how can you fix that? Right. Um, And so it's good to close sales, but then you also don't want customers who are complaining about you on all social media platforms. And now you're not getting sales and you're getting negative reviews. Right. And so I think that's another one you want to look at. So I, I completely agree. That's a really good call out. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can find me on my LinkedIn. My name is Neha Dixit Nike. I'm sure you're going to, Chris is going to add this to the show notes. And then you can find me on my website, which is recruitgyan.com. So it's recruitgyan.com. Gyan sounds for knowledge in Sanskrit. Um, and then finally, uh, you can email me at neha.nike at recruitgyan.com as well. Um, and I'd love to talk to y'all and just network because I love doing that. Appreciate it so much. Thank you for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, thanks to all of you who are listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Your feedback helps us improve and grow. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, you can connect with us throughout social media and online at Chris Hood Show. And please share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, or anyone else looking to grow their business and start their own digital evolution. Until next week, take care and stay connected.